You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Todd Wicks. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, January 11th, 2022. The ideal candidate would be someone who cares about NCCSD schools and cares about creating a stronger future in the school system. Later in the program, WFHB News Director Cade Young speaks with MCCSE Board President Brandon Schur about a vacancy on the MCCSE School Board. More in today's feature report. Also coming up the next half hour, WFHB correspondent Nathaniel Weinzappel reports on the climate disasters of 2021. But first, your local headlines. At the COVID-19 press conference on January 7th, IU Health President Brian Shockney reported that the hospital is at the highest capacity it has seen, with individuals waiting to get into patient rooms every day. Shockney urged everyone to do their best to get vaccinated and take all precautions needed to slow the spread of COVID-19. There are some easy ways for you to help, and here they are. Get vaccinated. Get boosted. Get tested if you feel sick or have been in contact with a COVID-positive person. Wear masks in public or when around people you don't live with and physically distance from others. As you can also see, we are not on a good path in Indiana related to the spread of the virus and hospitalizations. You can see IU Health is caring for its highest number of patients pandemic to date. 70% of these patients are unvaccinated. We are also experiencing team members being out due to COVID symptoms and positivity that puts further strain on our ability to respond to this pandemic. Yes, we have hope. And we know that this pandemic will someday become endemic to our society as the seasonal flu has become. However, right now at this point in time, we are asking each of you to do all you can to stop the spread of this virus for the next few weeks. And how you can make the biggest difference is through the selfless act of ensuring you do not contract or spread the virus. And this will have a multiplying effect on the lives of our community and our healthcare heroes. Board of Health Director Penny Cottle shared that Monroe County is still in an orange advisory category, but is on trajectory to reach the red category. Caudill said that the Indiana State Gravity Testing Site is available for drive-through testing and has improved its signage to make it easier for individuals to find. Indiana University Vice Provost of External Relations Kirk White shared that IU decided to start courses in person. We'll be back uh, with in-person classes starting Monday, but we're really trusting our high vaccination rates, uh, our mitigation testing that we're continuing and our indoor masking uh, procedures to uh, give us the best shot at uh, at having a successful kickoff to the semester. I would just say that uh, though you hear a lot about the uh, a few colleges and universities who have delayed things, um, really Indiana University is among 90% of, um, of, of the colleges and universities in the country that have decided to go ahead and start on time. 
And this is really because of the experience that we've had in managing the pandemic up to this point, different procedures that we have in place and really high vaccination rates, unlike most other populations, university campuses like ours that have a vaccine requirement um, have uh, a high vaccination rate, which really means that your chances of getting seriously ill are, are much less. White said that IU will continue to monitor cases on a daily basis and make changes if needed. The next COVID-19 press conference will be held on Friday, January 14th. On January 10th, the Ellettsville Town Council voted on the election of officers. The council voted Pamela Samples into the position of president of the town council and William Ellis as vice president. Director of Planning and Development Kevin Tolety recommended that Building Inspector Ron Vandeventer be appointed to the Board of Zoning Appeals. Katie Arthur was appointed to the Parks and Recreation Board. There is still a vacancy on the board to be filled by someone from the Democratic Party. The board also approved a contract with Ziptility in operations and asset management software to help keep track of the town's infrastructure. Town manager Mike Farmer explained why he would like to continue to work with Ziptility and expand their services moving forward. Um, it's taken me 22 years to say I pretty much know where everything is in our system. Uh, we have 107 miles of uh, water pipe, probably 120 now, now I think about it. Uh, we have fi- over 500 fire hydrants. We have 5,500 meters. We have two water tanks. And uh, I can't remember, about 50 miles, maybe not that much, of uh, sewer um, and probably five pump stations. So we have a lot of infrastructure. And so it's taken me 22 years to say I pretty much know where everything's at. But even now, with the growth in our uh, town and our community, um, uh, it's getting away from us. I mean, I can't even remember the names of the streets, let alone keep track of what's getting put in the ground. So as that happens, um, we will collect this data and it'll, and what, what we know up till, you know, after 22 years and what we had before that and things that we've correct, corrected, that information 20 years from now, whoever takes my place, if I've decided to quit by then, um, whoever takes my place, um, Whatever kind of manager they are will be one thing, but the fact that they can reach back 20 years in the past and talk to us and know what we know now will allow them to be even a better manager for the system. Tyler Henke, co-founder and CEO of Ziptility, said he has been working with Ellettsville for four years now and that their new software could help with more departments than just the utilities department. We build tools specifically for small communities. Ellisville was actually one of our first customers, uh, like I said, almost four years ago. Uh, Our best customers now tend to be small communities that aren't as small as they used to be. Uh, I know you all know what that means in Ellisville. Mike and I and some of the other department heads have been speaking over the last few months. um, And and we'd like to to be more helpful in helping uh, the town deal with its growing pains. I think specifically in Ellisville's case, um, that's kind of doubling down on building a source of truth that's accessible to everyone. Uh, a lot of that progress has already been made, but with, with uh, looping in others and adding on the work management features, 
um, we can speak to how that, that tends to get done a lot faster. Um, also helping, uh, like Mike said, with upcoming and new compliance requirements. So asset management planning is really important uh, now for small, especially utility systems that are uh, looking to get uh, low interest financing from the state. Uh, there's lead and copper rule stuff uh, that's becoming more and more important, as well as PASER rating type stuff that uh, folks like KIPP are already working on. Um, and then uh, maybe the piece that I'm most excited about is helping kind of streamline cross-departmental workflows. So uh, a lot of the, the progress that we've made, all of the progress that we've made so far has been within utilities. Um, but as you all know, you know your infrastructure uh, doesn't really care about what department you're in. And so enabling uh, ways for um, workflows between different members of uh, the, the town staff, I think will, will really help uh, eliminate mistakes. Um, so so de-risk things a bit, as well as, as streamline um, some of the, the current operations. The council voted to approve the contract with Ziptility unanimously. As we venture into the new year, we take a look back at the climate disasters of 2021. WFHB correspondent Nathan Weinzappel has that story. As 2022 gets underway, it is often important to reflect a bit on the year we are leaving behind. During 2021, there were around 20 extreme weather events that occurred in the United States that totaled over a billion dollars worth of damage, with some weather events reaching even higher numbers. One of the notable events included is the mid-February freeze in Texas that caused the deaths of over 200 people and led to the majority of the state experiencing electrical blackouts and no running water. This was due to three severe winter storms pushing abnormally far south over the course of a 10-day period and a failure of the Texas state's government to heed the warning of regulators of the need to winterize power sources, primarily those of natural gas. Damages due to the winter storm and resulting cold wave caused an estimated $195 billion worth of damage. Despite this failure, some of the energy companies responsible made billions of dollars upcharging energy to the richest Texans, having energy costs go from $50 per megawatt hour to $9,000 per megawatt hour. Another notable example comes from the neighboring state of Kentucky, who saw on December 10th a violent, long-track tornado that hit many western Kentucky towns, including Mayfield and Dawson Springs. Traveling a total of 165.7 miles, the tornado resulted in 58 fatalities, and while the exact cause of the damage has yet to be determined, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association has indicated that it will be greater than a billion dollars. On a greater scale, around half of the entire United States population was impacted by a massive drought, often unknowingly during most of the last year. 
This was due to the United States experiencing its fourth hottest year on record, primarily elevated by the extremely high temperatures seen last December, beating the record set a few years ago in 2015. Ten states, Alabama, Arkansas, Kansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Nebraska, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Texas had their warmest December on record. The state of Indiana did not have a singular massive-scale natural disaster and said, Underlying environmental factors resulted in over a billion dollars being spent due to the effects of severe weather. Most of the money was spent in response to massive storm systems that occurred throughout most of last year, as well as in response to the widespread drought that many states, including Indiana, faced. In summary, the Texas freeze and Mayfield tornado, among other extreme weather events, have all resulted in 2021 being the third costliest extreme weather year on record. For WFHB, I'm Nathaniel Weinzaffel. In today's feature report, the Monroe County Community School Corporation has a vacancy for the 6th District on the Board of Trustees. To learn more about the vacancy and what the Board is looking for, to learn more about the vacancy and what the Board is looking for, WFHB News Director Cade Young spoke with MCCSC Board President Brandon Shore. Well, Brandon Schur, board president for the Monroe County Community School Corporation School Board, welcome to the WFHB Local News. Thanks for having me. So, Brandon, there is a vacancy on the MCCSC School Board. So, first off, would you just describe what a school board member does? Yes, um, a school board member does a lot of things, but um, one of the main things is looking at policies and and different board priorities that were going to go on with the school. So pretty much looking kind of from an airplane view over not looking at just the day-to-day uh, actions of the school, but focusing more on the policies and decisions that kind of focus on long-term um, change and, and policies that happen within the school. I see. So the vacancy for the Board of Trustees is to represent District 6. Now, would you explain who is eligible to apply here? Yes. Um, the great thing about MCCSC and their technology, uh, if you go on mccsc.edu's page and they have a District 6 notice of vacancy, and on that page there it has the District 6 map, and it also has all the different things that you need to be able to apply. So, there's a notice of vacancy there that you can click on, and it kind of walks you through all of it. So the first step that you'd want to take is looking at the District 6 map and to see if you or friends or family members that might be interested um, are in that map. It's, it can be very confusing a little bit of, of who's in that map. So if you can look at that, it'll be very clear on if you're in that. And if you are and and uh, in the notice of vacancy, if you also meet some of those other bylaws there that you'll see on there. Um, then you can go ahead and apply 
uh, for that position. All right. Well, thank you for directing our listeners where to find that District 6 map. So next up, I was just curious, when do you start the interview process and what will that look like? Yeah, so all the applications are due uh, very quickly, actually. They're due January 13th, so uh, that's this coming Thursday. So the process has to, from the beginning to the end, it's about 30 days that we have, exactly 30 days. So that's why the process seems may seem rushed, but it's uh, the process that we have to go through. So all the applications are due by January 13th, this Thursday, and they can be emailed to Karen Butcher, whose email is also on that website, or they can be mailed to uh, Monroe County School Corporation. And then the interviews will actually start that next week. And so anyone that it would like to apply um, and it is, sends their information in by January 13th, uh, must be available January 19th and 20th. Uh, for an interview, and we'll be scheduling those once we get the applications in. I see. And for our listeners, January 13th is Thursday, just two days away. So if you're interested in applying, now is the time. Um, Now, how does the selection process work? Like, how does the school corporation decide who will be the candidate given a pool of applicants? Yeah. So there's a set of interview questions, about seven of them, uh, that we'll ask each person that applies. And each board member will be present um, and will ask those questions. And we will then decide at the end of asking those questions, the seven of us who, who um, have a lot of different views and different opinions on things, and then we'll come to a decision together on who uh, best fits uh, the position and moving forward with the board. So it'll depend on lots of things, but it'll mostly be, t- be um, depend on those questions and how those were answered. I see. I see. Now, this may be a subjective question, but who is the ideal candidate in your mind for a potential board of trustees applicant? I mean, just simply, I don't want to speak uh, out of turn, but simply I would say that most um, school board members would also agree with me that the ideal candidate would be someone who cares about NCCSC schools and cares about creating a stronger future um, in in the school system. Now, next, when will the announcement be made once the candidate is selected to be the next board member? That's something that we will, um, as a board, talk about and decide, uh, depending on how long it will take us to decide that. Again, we have 30 days to make that decision from the time that the the last board member resigned to when we need to name that. So that'll be something that we'll discuss as a board, but it will be before those 30 days. So it will be before. I think the second or third of February, but it could be even way before that, depending on how our decision goes together. All right. Well, that's all the questions I have prepared for you, but I want to give you the last word here. Is there anything else that you would like to add before we part ways? Yeah, I would just say that, um, you know, I'm a parent of three kids in the school system and we have a lot of parents on the school board and we, not that you have to be a parent, but I would say that if you care about as a school system, if it's something that you're interested in, something that you um, want to get involved in, it is one of the best ways, I think, to uh, be a part of moving our community forward and, uh, and helping out not just kids, uh, but education and, and what our community will look like in the future. So uh, as we see, all of us at Seed School Boards have been the limelight uh, lately, but I would say that even though that's just a small sliver of what we've seen, that school boards are very, very important in our community. And 
and it's an easy way to get involved. So I would hope that if people are very interested and want to get involved, that they put their application in and not be afraid to jump in on that. I've got three kids. I've got a couple jobs outside of this. So uh, we're all busy, but, but I do know that this is an important role for me and my kids' future and the whole community's future. Well, Brandon Schur, board president for the MCCSC School Board, thank you for coming on to the WFHB Local News. Thank you very much. Up next, Vera Grubbs of the Brown County Hour interviews a local artist, Sally Baldwin, at her weaving studio. The Brown County Hour airs on the first Sunday of each month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. on WFHB Community Radio. The program is also available online at browncountyhour.com and on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Hello, this is Vera Grubbs with the Brown County Hour for WFHB. I'm in Sally Baldwin's shop and I'm looking for her. Sally, where are you? Back here. <laughs> Straighten up some yarn. <laughs> I've come in to interview Sally and it seems to me that you are one of the earliest artist craftsperson to land in Brown County. How did that come about? Well, there were several that came before me in, in the early 70s. Really? I didn't arrive here until 1983. Uh -huh. But my husband, we were living in Murfreesboro, Illinois, and my husband had a couple of friends from high school that lived here. And we had been looking for a small farm in southern Illinois, and we just couldn't find what we were looking for. So he drove over one weekend and came back and said, Sally, we got to move there. There's craftspeople there, there's log cabins, forest, it's just beautiful. And I says, well, yeah, I'll, I'll check it out. So I was coming here to make a delivery of rugs for a shop called Country Mouse Weaving Shop, owned by Joanne Hab. So I brought rugs with me, and um, yeah, we I fell in love with it too. So a month later, we had found a place and oh, moved from Southern Illinois. That went quickly. It did, yes. So you've been weaving even longer than... Before Brown County? Yes, I learned to weave in Minnesota in 73, but I didn't really start as a business until 1980 in Murfreesboro, Carbondale, Illinois. How did you embellish your weaving to, to the extent that it's considered an art? Uh, well, when I started out, I was using uh, rags. I, I only did rag rugs, and I would go to flea markets, yard sales, Goodwills, things like that to find material to weave with. And, and that, that it, that's very artistic to do rag rugs. But then I um, had a shop with Carol Adamson, oh. Brown County Weavers. We yeah. started in 1988. And she was doing some clothing. And Joanne Hab was also doing clothing. And I decided to start weaving clothing on my rug loom, which is a little more difficult versus a, a clothing loom. And just found, I just really enjoyed making jackets and sweaters and, you know, different types of pieces that people could use to keep them warm. And you spin and dye as well. I do. 
1997, I decided to write a book called Natural Dying in Yellowwood Forest. And all of the dye books that I had collected over the years, they were all natural dyeing books, but they all called for using chemicals. So that seemed kind of odd to me. Paradox. Yes. So I decided to uh, do a lot of research on plants that had tannic acid in them naturally, or you could use vinegar or alum. And then I um, discovered creatures. I had angora rabbits for couple of years, and I, I now have two Angora goats, a black one and a white one. So in regards to the beginning, how would you describe the prevalent culture here in Brown County? Oh boy, you know what? We moved here before the big boom. There were maybe 80 shops here, so a lot of boom happened in probably the late 80s. We definitely need more craftspeople. We need young people to start having shops and creating and learning a skill and art. You are a committed social activist. How are you mm. able to balance that with your craft and your business concerns? Anyone listening to this has ever walked by Brown County Weavery, you probably know what my politics are <laughs> since they're <laughs> plastered on the window. So, but the things that I'm really concerned about are the environment and uh, I'm a pacifist, so I'm totally against all wars. I, I just put it out and hope I affect someone. I am a member of the Brown County Craft Gallery and have been since 1984. But we have a website, the Brown County Craft Gallery, and you can see all of the members' work on our website. And where is the retail store for the gallery? It's at 56 West Main Street. I'm just really concerned about all the logging that's going on right now. And I know WFHB, you know, the Brown County Hour has, has put a lot of emphasis on that, and I'm really glad for that. This has been Vera Grubbs with the Brown County Hour for WFHB, talking to Sally Baldwin. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider and Nathaniel Weinzapfel in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cade Young. Bring It On is produced by Clarence Boone. The Brown County Hour segment was produced by Vera Grubbs. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Todd Wicks. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. 
the WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Planetary Radio, a program that explores our solar system and beyond. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 